Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 55. Coming to you from our world headquarters in San Francisco, welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Eli Miniker. So all of this week, we have been participating in the Limra Social Media Conference for Financial Services here in our hometown of San Francisco. Right here. So excited to have all these people out from across the country talking social. And today, we made a very special announcement regarding a social business maturity model that we are releasing, and so we've invited a very special guest, someone that you all know from episode 22. <laughs> we have Sarah, so welcome Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, happy to be back. So I know there's a lot of questions, I'm sure, uh, because we did a press release to announce the social business maturity model, and this is something I know we've been working on for quite some time. So we wanted to invite you today so you could expand a little bit to share with everybody who's listening what is the social business maturity model. It has nothing to do with my immaturity around the office. It doesn't <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's a whole different that's a other different measurement. Yes. Yeah, we have okay. something else for we'll that. Talk about that <laughs> offline. Okay. Um, the, the social business maturity model is a model that we have developed over the past several months um, using over five years worth of data, mm-hmm. um, over 110 customer lines of business Whoa. in order to uh, inform the model. Uh, and again, this is covering over 100,000 financial professionals. Mm -hmm. And essentially, this model is designed to help our clients and prospects understand what parts of their social business program are set up for success and where they really need to fine tune uh, in order to start being able to see tangible results come in in the form of ROI. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when we meet with our clients, they, we have wonderful brainstorms. Uh, we, we talk about different things that they could be doing in their program, but sometimes it feels like a lot. And what we've done is we've essentially boiled down all of the things you can be doing into the top 10 attributes that directly drive success for social business programs. So really, we're really excited to share this today and uh, help you all learn more. Well, and I have to imagine that you know, we need something like this. I would say the way I looked at it is a, a very good benchmarking tool. Exactly. Because people will start with social and a lot of the initial question, it's a very competitive industry, as you know, whether it's an in insurance, wealth management, asset management, banking or mortgage, they all want to know, how do I stack up? You know, am I doing the right things? So can you tell us a little bit about what the model itself will do? Absolutely. And and you nailed, you nailed the question right uh, on the head. That is the first question we often get from customers, whether they are one month into a deployment or five years into a deployment, is how am I doing? But mm-hmm. not just how am I doing in a vacuum, how am I doing against my industry peers? Mm-hmm. So the model is essentially uh, made up of, as I mentioned, 10 different attributes, mm-hmm. uh, ranging from executive sponsorship, for example. Um, Are your C-suite level individuals involved with the program? And almost more importantly, are they championing the program? Are they leading by example? Mm -hmm. Are they out there trying to build their business by using social media as well? 
Um, so we have executive sponsorship, we have a dedicated project team. That's another key attribute. Do you have a team that is well represented by marketing, legal, compliance, um, IT, et cetera, in order to be able to support your entire social business program rollout? Mm-hmm. And this is something we've seen consistently when you take, uh, for example, we've talked often about uh, Raymond James, like Tasha Elwin, yes, who's the president of the private client group, who I had the privilege of interviewing. He's bought in, he's using social media, he is constantly on Twitter monitoring not only what their employees are saying, but any real mention of Raymond James. And so that proactive approach to it, I think is very encouraging for the rest of the people within Raymond James, and that seems to kind of help the adoption rate. Exactly, exactly. We've heard from many executives that they saw a dramatic change in the success of their program when they started leading by example themselves. The other thing is, again, they're, they're, it's really hard when you're approaching a, a program like a social business program, it's very easy to try to boil the ocean. Mm-hmm. And again, when we focus down onto these 10 specific attributes, uh, it makes it much more actionable for, again, both our clients and our prospects to know what's next and what they really need to do that might be different from a competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually, I think, one of the most exciting things about this model is that this is not just about using hearsay social. This is for anyone who has a social business program in the financial services space. We can help you understand how you stack up and what you need to do next in order to drive results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just gonna say, and I imagine that as uh, a user of the model or as, as you know, someone in the space would look at this and say I'm at the bottom of it, I think, well, okay, you know, I've got a ladder to climb, but maybe it's not that enormous of a ladder. Here are the steps and the checks. And if I look at it and I'm at the top, I say, all right, well, let's keep pushing the envelope. What more can we do beyond that? And if you're in the middle, well, you know, you can see, you know, let's not fall any further. And so it's, I imagine at every step of the way, anywhere you land on the model, you kind of, it also helps give you a really good sense of what to do next. Exactly. It should be honestly a a pretty good news story for anyone, no matter where you fall into the model. Mm -hmm. If you're at the top and you're, you're in the market leading, what we call the market leading bucket, that's fantastic. Uh, You should know that you're doing a lot of things really well and you have other people looking up to you. If you're not, we can now again quantify what's next for you uh, and make it much more actionable um, for for the administrators of the project. And if you're in the top of that bucket, you make the playoffs or something? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you get a trophy. <laughs> so Sarah, you mentioned that market leading is the fourth stage, like I said, the more mature stage <laughs> right, of the model. So what are the other three? Good question. So as as we mentioned, the fourth stage or the fourth level of this maturity model is the market leading. That is the bucket that everyone aspires to be in. Uh, but let me start actually from the beginning. Level one is what we call our developing bucket. Mm-hmm. Organizations in this bucket basically have sort of the, the building blocks or the basic building blocks of a social and digital program in place for their advisors. Mm-hmm. But it's primarily driven uh, by an opportunistic approach by their advisors. So early adopters who say, you know what, I raise my hand, I want to be part of this program. These are the the folks who are are part of this developing bucket. It's not necessarily a full organization-wide approach to social business yet. (laughs) I was in that for a long time, that (laughs) stage, you know, kind of pushing the envelope, but I think I was 
by myself. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> we that's all have to one. start I'm somewhere. <laughs> you all got to start in, in the developing stage at some point. Right. So after developing is what we call our emerging bucket, and this is where we see a lot of uh, the organizations that we work with establish some of the key fundamentals for driving ROI. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, they have things like a. Uh, a full team in place, project team in place. They have a robust set of content available to their advisors so that they can uh, establish themselves as thought leaders. And really what differentiates the emerging folks from the developing ones is that they have expanded beyond these early adopters and they've started to challenge other folks in the organization to adopt social as part of their day-to-day business. Mm -hmm. After emerging, we have the strategic level. So we, we actually do have quite a few customers that do fall into this bucket. Uh, these customers have very mature social and digital business capabilities. And we really start to see social and digital become part of the fabric mm-hmm. of the companies at this stage. Right. People embrace it at every level. And it really is not about a siloed program, but how people do business on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And then again, once we get to that market leading level, this is where people are doing transformational things in order to build their business, in order to drive recruiting, in order to improve their employee retention. Mm -hmm. And this is what really differentiates these people from the strategic level customers. Wow. And I would have to imagine in the second stage, the emerging, yes. that's usually when budget comes in, right? I mean, from my observations at least, it's been that once you get to that beyond that entry level and there is an interest and you get a group of stakeholders together, yeah. like a committee and a group, and which is one of the, the findings I think on a successful program, you have, it's not in a silo, it's exactly. it repre- representatives from compliance, legal, and you've got uh, marketing, sales, human resources. You get these groups together, that's usually when the budget starts, right? Exactly, that's a, that's a great point. A lot of our customers in the developing stage uh, are often in pilots. Mm-hmm. They're still sort of testing things out. Yeah. They don't necessarily know what the program's gonna look like, but once they, they start to see it take shape, they start to see the success come in, they start to learn that advisors are hearing from each other, hey, you know what, this is something I wanna be doing. That's when, again, to your point, the budget comes together and often the program expands into the emerging phase. Mm-hmm. Okay, so staying on topic here regarding the various levels, and you talked a little bit about developing, we just talked about the emerging level. Um, I was kind of curious, is it at the strategic level that you kind of reach this point of no return? I mean, <laughs> you've committed, uh, you've got budget allocated, you've got this different you know, stakeholder group that's kind of helping move things, and you've got people who are actually using social. Yeah. Well, we'd obviously like to think that it's the point of no return, starting at the developing stage, that once you start to see the beauty, you can never go back. But no, I think I think it's a great question. And I think you're right, actually. It really is in that strategic level where a lot of advisors and agents start to see what we call this virtuous cycle really come to life. We've talked about social business a lot. It's not something that necessarily happens overnight. It requires commitment. It requires consistency both from the administrative side as well as from the advisor and the agent side. Uh, But after putting in this time and being supported by the organization in in a strategic level organization, a lot of advisors start to see the returns come in in a very real way. Mm -hmm. And so once you have these virtuous cycles going and these advisors and these agents are really excited about the possibilities, it really is hard to go back. (laughs) You know, it's funny you say that because 
I would say that one of the things that's really changed as far as the rhetoric and the conversations that take place, especially at an event like this, at the uh, Social Media Conference for Financial Services, is the fact that you are getting more and more of these ROI stories. Absolutely. Uh, whereas a couple years ago, I mean, it was still people trying to validate the value of social. You're getting to the point now where people are freely sharing stories of either specific instances where they uh, acquired a new client or they increase assets, or more importantly, and this is for me, where they actually help somebody. Mm -hmm. They really helped the family out, or they helped an individual, they, they got them additional insurance that really helped. Yep. You know, where they're really making a difference in people's lives that sometimes can't necessarily be measured in numbers. Absolutely. And I love hearing those stories, and I know that the people we work with love sharing those stories, yeah. <laughs> right? So I'm guessing that at the strategic level, like you said, it's a spiral of, that it kind of feeds itself. It does. You know, as people are having success, that they illustrate that success, and then you get more people to adopt because they they also want to share in that success. Exactly, and you know what we did a customer survey uh, earlier this year, and one of the things we learned again this year, as we've learned many years in a row, is that agents and advisors love to learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Yes, the customer success team is there. We train folks. We help out. The administrative team at each of our clients is there to help and train. But at the end of the day, an advisor is going to look at one of their colleagues and say, "Well, how did you do that?" Or how did you find that success? Mm -hmm. And so as those success stories come to life, the, the clients that actually empower agents to share these the most are really the ones that see the most benefit at the end. Because again, these folks love learning from each other. So I'm gonna take it back now. Okay. Because uh, I'm kind of curious, this is all <laughs> sounds great and I know that uh, we're gonna be sharing a lot more information about this beyond the press release as our customers start asking questions. But taking it back, why did we create it? What was what was the inception? What was the idea behind creating this? Well, I think it, it came from two places. One was again to your point. Uh, I think right at the be the the beginning of the podcast was that we get this question so often from everyone we talk to in the industry is how am I doing from a social business perspective? Now, especially for clients and prospects that are are not able to or not taking the time to measure ROI, it's particularly difficult for them to understand. So this maturity model helps them understand really where they fall in their specific industry. Uh, we have benchmarks within PNC insurance, life, wealth. We have benchmarks in Asia, in Europe, North America, etc. So it's really going to help them answer that question. And then I think second, it's going to also help them really know where to invest in order to build up their social program in order to see that ROI. Mm -hmm. There's sure. so many different things you could be doing. You could be doubling down on content. You could be just simply focusing on adoption. You could be working on getting, again, to, to what I was speaking to earlier, getting your executives involved. But where do you start? And when you can see, okay, well, you know what? I'm actually comparing pretty well to my peers on these three attributes, but I really need some work in expanding to my advisor base, that shows you where your next step should be. Mm -hmm. So it really breaks down into the specific areas of social success. It does, it does. And again, this is based on years and years of working with some of the leading financial service companies in the world, seeing what has worked for them, and, and also all of the expertise that we've brought from a coaching perspective. So 
we really feel that these 10 attributes that this model is based off of are the ones that ultimately drive success. And can we dig into those a bit more? What what are those 10 attributes? Absolutely. So, you know, I mentioned earlier the, the top two, and these tend to yeah. come up quite a bit. The mm-hmm. executive sponsorship, or as I like to say, the executive championship, mm-hmm. um, as well as the dedicated project team. So, the third is what we call digital content maturity. And that essentially, it's just speaking to the fact that a company has a robust set of content options available to their advisors and the agents. Mm-hmm. Um, so is the library you know, within Hearsay Social or whatever library a, an, an agent or advisor is using, is that up to date? Does it have a diverse set of topics that agents and advisors can use to speak to their audience? Definitely an important part of a, of a mature social business program. The next attribute is what we call deployment status. Uh, this essentially measures how much of whatever program you're investing in. Again, let's use hearsay social in this case. You know, if you've, if you've bought 100 seats, are you using all 100? Right. We wanna make sure that you're maximizing the potential benefit of just the investment you've made. Yeah. And then next, and this is kind of more at the 10,000 foot level, but the advisor coverage. So yes, you might've bought 100 seats, but you have 3,500 advisors. How many of these advisors are you actually enabling with social uh, access to social? After that is what we call program status. This actually goes back to, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. about is social part of the fabric of your company? And there are a lot of different ways you can position a social business program. You can say, this is opt-in, this is a pilot. Mm -hmm. If you're interested, let this person know, they'll figure out a way to get you in. That's kind of on the the lower side, all the way up to, I am the CEO and I'm saying this is either a mandatory or a highly desired program. So where do you fall on that spectrum? Um, Four more for you here. (laughs) Social network coverage, uh, we do allow access to four different social networks. And we feel like the the companies that maximize the, the reach of their advisors are the ones that, again, um, are the most mature. The other thing, you know, along the social network coverage side is, you know, I might go to search for an advisor locally on Google. You might search on Facebook, Victor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might search on, on Twitter. So yeah. by expanding that access, you're making sure that you're really covering all potential uh, customers and, and prospects. Plus, it's pretty straightforward, I would imagine. To, I mean, I know to to share across the same piece of content across all four. So, if you're sharing it to one, might as well share it to four. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the next level is, uh, or the next attribute rather, is what we call the user maturity level. Mm. We have folks who, uh, you know, span the the range here. Folks who don't really know much about the social networks, all the way to people who know everything that's happening with LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, uh, completely up to speed. So how mature are your users in terms of using the networks? Mm -hmm. And moreover, are they consistent and are they committed? Because it's really by being both, again, consistent and committed to this program that they're ultimately going to see success. The ninth attribute here is what we call program value measurement. 
Uh, and this essentially speaks to whether or not an organization is taking the time to measure the success that they're getting. We've seen that measuring success actually begets success. Mm -hmm, right. So the more that you are taking the time to set specific sales KPIs, retention KPIs, hiring KPIs around social and measure that, the more mature we really feel that, that you are. Um, and then finally, the, the last attribute is what we call digital program maturity. This is really focused, this model is focused on social business specifically. But social business wouldn't be anything without the rest of the digital components that support it. So do you have other tools in place to expand the digital reach of your advisors, including mobile optimized sites, training programs for social business, et cetera? So that, that wraps up the, uh, the last attribute there. Wow. So I mean, I can't help but think that that's a lot of data to be collecting and and you know and, uh, and analyzing. Yes. So is that something that we're doing? Like, it, I'm, I'm have to imagine that the <laughs> early steps of this was kind of evaluating to benchmark, you know, our own customers to see where we think they stack up and do we feel confident is pretty accurate. Absolutely. You know, we we scored over three thousand attributes uh, for all of these uh, for, in order Just to three <laughs> attributes. In I order to, ten was a lot. <laughs> three thousand total. Each of those three thousand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. We we have some more time yeah. here. <laughs> Let's go. There's twenty nine ninety yeah. to go in our fifty part podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So there were there were three thousand total attributes scored. Uh, across all the customers that that we have been working with mm -hmm. in order to build out this model. And I will tell you, this was a very iterative process. Mm. We did start with a set of 10 slightly different attributes. Mm. And what we learned when we originally did the scoring was that some things didn't necessarily line up. So we did have to challenge ourselves and question ourselves. You know, we put this model in front of all sorts of different people within the organization to get their gut sense too. Was there something that, you know, we as the customer success team were too married to? Um, or was there something that the product team thought was more important than, than, than we did? And so again, we went through many iterations to come up with this final model. Um, that again, social changes over time. We, mm -hmm. you know, we see this day in and day out. And so while we feel very confident with this model today, we could see that something might change a little bit, you know, in a few months, in, in half a year. Um, and we're, we're dedicated to keeping this model up to date. So the companies that go through this process of mm -hmm. getting the model, does it give them like a single number or does it give them numbers for each of the different attributes? Great question. So uh, it, it actually gives you a single number. Mm -hmm. However, if you are a multi-line of business customer, you will actually get a number for each line, line of business that is active on social. Your total overall organization score is weighted based on the number of seats deployed in each line of business. Mm. So it, it can provide you basically the, the holistic score for your organization, as well as how your wealth division is comparing to other wealth lines of business. So, and I know our focus is in financial services, and so in evaluating that, I was kind of curious, do we get a sense as to where we think the industry as a whole is, as far as the various levels? I mean, are, are we still in the development stage or are we moving forward? You know, I think a, a few years ago, I would have very quickly said, we're in the developing stage. <laughs> Everybody is, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, financial services one, was one of the later industries to uh, social media, just because of the regulatory aspects. 
However, we've seen some companies, again, you mentioned Raymond James, doing some incredible market-leading, and not just industry-leading, but truly market-leading things in order to develop their social business program that I really feel that the overall industry is, is in the emerging stage. Again, we have examples from developing all the way up to market leading, but if I had to pinpoint the industry, I would say emerging. Now again, we compare, if you're comparing the industry to retail, to auto, we're gonna be behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think we're okay with that. We're, we're, we're catching sure. up. We're, we're even learning from some of the mistakes that they've made over time. Um, but, but yeah, I think we're, we're comfortable with emerging and we're excited to see the industry as a whole move up to strategic and market leading. Yeah, and I would say it's moving just because I did get this year as I did last year to participate as one of the judges for the Silver Bull Awards that they're awarding on Thursday. Oh, that's great. And uh, that is a real indicator. I highly recommend for those of you that are listening, that are attending the conference, and even for those of you that are not attending the conference to check out hashtag Silver, Silver Bowl Awards because on the afternoon, uh, or I think right before the lunch hour on Thursday, they're gonna give out these awards to these companies that have done some amazing things as it relates to leveraging digital technology to really promote not only their organization, but their advisors or their agents. And some of the categories like social for social good, you know, charitable organizations, very impressive and very yeah. creative ways that organizations are using social media and digital technology to kind of connect with their audiences, and and I would agree, it's not limited from the standpoint that it's not just they're really good at social media in financial services, they're just good at social media. Exactly. Right? You know, overall, and, and they're, they're, they're kind of getting to that level beyond strategic into the market leading areas. So now that we've launched uh, our social business maturity model, mm-hmm. uh, curious, how are we getting this out to our clients, and how are we evaluating them and getting them uh, to understand the importance of this? Great question. So we offer to our, our clients QBRs, or quarterly business reviews, mm-hmm. uh, and we are gonna be including, as soon as possible, as soon as the next QBR comes up for each client, the opportunity to go through this model with, mm-hmm. with each of our clients, which is really, again, a great opportunity to sit down with the project team and to sit down also with the, the CXOs to explain how the program is doing. So again, we'll not only be able to explain the model, uh, the score, but also the benchmarking, which mm-hmm. I think is so far in our, our early conversations with both C-level individuals and project teams, that benchmarking is what's been um, the most exciting for them. I'm sure our clients will really, really love hearing that. I'd, but also, uh, what if, say, I'm a prospect? That's a really great question. <laughs> um, you know, it's a little bit hard with prospects since we don't necessarily know all the information that can fill these 10 attributes. Right. That being said, we actually have a internal questionnaire that we have developed that can help our account executives and sales um, solutions consultants assess a range for prospects so that they okay. understand approximately where they are today. Mm-hmm. And then we can help them understand where they might be tomorrow if they made a few changes. And of course, with us. Right. <laughs> well, and I have to imagine that uh, one of the big uh, outcomes of reviewing the social business maturity model and you know our clients sitting at the QBR and seeing exactly where they stack up uh, 
you know, related to their peers, but also where they stack in and looking at some of these contributing factors, really as a call to action, right? As Absolutely. A, as an opportunity to see where they may be scoring low mm-hmm. and the types of improvements and things they can make to increase their level so that if they're sitting in the emerging, mm-hmm. what's it gonna take to become a, at the level of strategic? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, what's it gonna take to become a market leader? Yep. Yeah, that's a great that's a, a great point. And you know, one of the things that's really exciting with all of this data that we have is we've actually been able to do some studies to understand which are the attributes that are the most tied to having the most the highest maturity score. Um, so for example, we've learned that having a dedicated project team is the top indicator of maturity. Organizations that have a dedicated project team have scores that are actually more than 43% higher than those without a dedicated team. So again, you know, when we're sitting down with a new client or even with a prospect and we see that that is lacking, in the past we've known that that's a problem, now we know that that is the single most important thing that they need to address today. Well, I'm really excited about this announcement yeah. and hopefully it's gonna resonate really well with uh, other community of clients that we serve and that they'll see some real value in this. Um, I think the best news for them is uh, how much is this gonna cost? This is free. It's as good as free. Oh, that's awesome. So I can't wait to hear exactly what the reaction is in the field as the uh, customer success executives and managers go out and share this with their clients and you know hearing the feedback. Yeah, we're you know we're excited too. We're we're feeling very fortunate in that early indicators uh, show us that this has been really useful to the teams that have have seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, we're we always welcome any feedback and uh, look forward to getting more. So if our customers are interested in learning a little bit more about this, who should they reach out to? They should definitely reach out to their customer success managers. Mm -hmm. These uh, folks, again, are um, the whole customer success team has been part of the scoring. Those 3,000 attributes didn't score themselves. (laughs) So yes, the customer success team will be able to help you get started, uh, understand your score, and understand your next best steps. Well, Sarah, thanks for stopping by and sharing. We're so excited with this announcement, and hopefully for those of you that are attending, the Limra Social Media Conference for Financial Services will stop by our booth to ask more questions. I will be there. And also remember to tweet using hashtag LLSMC during the conference and also to follow the tweets that we're gonna be sharing from at our at Hearsay Social <laughs> Twitter account, as well as I'll be there at Victor Gaxiola and uh, sharing more and more information as it uh, rolls out. So thank you. Wonderful, well thanks for having me. Cheers. It's good to be back. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear sunflowers in your hair. If you are going to San Francisco. So last year, when Limra announced that their social media conference for financial services was gonna take place in San Francisco this year, got really excited because as many of you know, this is our hometown of San Francisco and with it comes the attractions, the food, the drink, and everything that we love about living in this city. And so as a special supplement to this podcast and for the benefit of all those people that are here for the social media conference for financial services, I thought, almost as a public service announcement, 
to share some of our favorite places here in San Francisco where you can go get a bite to eat, get a drink. And so I've invited one of our resident culinary experts, Jen DeMack from our customer success team. So welcome, Jen. Hi, everyone. I'm Jen DeMacky-Langan. But as Victor pointed out, some people call me DMAC. There are about five Jens on the customer yeah. success team. So that's just the way we distinguish ourselves. And everyone just calls me that. Now, you may recall that in the last episode, at the tail end, we had an interview with Mark, who was telling us about his adventures with Ronnie and uh, the hashtag Ronnie Walk. And uh, at the tail end of that interview, he was telling us that he was going to go to this place called The Lazy Bear. So I am looking at Jen because you were part of that dinner, right? Yes, I was. I'm grinning ear to ear right now. I'm still thinking about some of the dishes we had. They were incredible. If any of you have the opportunity to get a ticket and you're staying in town for longer than um, the days of the conference, I would highly recommend uh, signing up for it. You can go as a group. You can go as one. It's a communal dining table, so it's very interactive. And I'm sure you'll find other foodies that are willing to talk to you about your meal. So would you say that right now? I think you were telling me that's your current favorite restaurant. It in San is Francisco, my right? top favorite restaurant in San Francisco. But it's I have to. It's tough ticket to get. Right. It's a tough, tough ticket to get. Yeah. That's right. There are only about I think there are two tastings per day. There's a six o'clock one and an eight fifteen one. So uh, definitely check it out. All of the the best part about the restaurants in San Francisco is that you can check online to see the availability either directly on the website itself or just using Open Table. You'll definitely be able to find really good eats. <laughs> well, it should be no surprise to people who are attending the conference that we really do love to eat just because as part of the, I think it was part of the check-in process, they received this uh, little flyer and I'm actually holding it up right now with all the favorite spots of many of the people who are part of our senior leadership team, including Clara and Steve. I think Clara's favorite spot was City View Restaurant. Have you been there? I haven't been there. I haven't been there. No, and I mean, and this is like adding to my list of places to go. Steve likes Tsunami Sushi, which is just across the street from here, which is crazy. I've been here for a year and three, four months, and I've yet to go there. Although I'll tell you, it was only about two weeks ago that I went to Phil's Coffee for the first time. Wait, what? I know. I we know, get a shocking. discount there. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, we have it here in the office, but I hadn't experienced the actual mm. drip coffee. And now I understand why there's always a long line. So I guess if I had to say, and even though I only just recently discovered it for myself, if you get an opportunity to have some Phil's coffee, it's worth the wait in line, right? Yeah, I definitely agree. I see. But and then Ron had uh, ramen, Isakaya Goku, also haven't been there. Uh, the San Francisco Ferry Building. Okay, that's a place I have been to, which is one of Yasmin's favorite places. And then just to round things up, Mark Gilbert has the Red Hill Station and Bernal Heights, have not been there. And then Lamar, uh, I should know how to say this, Cebicheria Peruana. That sounds pretty good, huh? Yeah, highly recommend yeah. that place with wow. great views of the water. Okay, so that's that's kind of our senior leadership uh, best places to visit. What are some of your best places? Oh, for a more casual dining experience, you definitely have to check out some of the food truck scenes going around in San Francisco. Off the Grid is basically a gathering of, of some of our top food trucks in the city. And if you're planning on staying through the weekend, there are about two locations. So on Fridays, they have it at Fort Mason. And one of my favorite carts there is actually a cart called Bacon Bacon. Hmm. If you follow me on Twitter, what Jen eats, <laughs> you'll see that my background is a giant piece of bacon. <laughs> Fun fact, I love bacon. Was it called Bacon Bacon? It is. Bacon yeah. squared. Uh, bacon bacon. Bacon bacon. It could be bacon squared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, you know, they wanted to shorten their Twitter handle or something. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bunch of different uh, dishes with just 
obviously bacon. They even just serve a bouquet of bacon, which is in a paper bag. Wow. Okay, so if you are a bacon lover, sounds like Fort Mason on a Friday night is the place to be. Yeah. Alternatively, if you're around on Sunday, they have an off-the-grid gathering in the Presidio. It's called Picnic in the Presidio. Mm -hmm. And it's just a lovely day, especially on a, a good weather day. You'll be able to see excellent views of the Golden Gate Bridge. See, and I love that because that's part of this whole city is so much of it is outdoors and it's, a, a, you know, enjoying the, the various attractions while you're in town. And whether you only have a few hours or if you have a couple of days, there's always something to see and a place to go. So when you have people coming in from out of town, what are your go-to spots? Oh, my go-to spots. So I'm also a big ice cream lover. Mm -hmm. Also in the Ferry Building is a place called Humphrey Slocomb with a variety of super fun flavors. Try secret breakfast, but maybe don't give it to the kids. Mm -hmm. Another top favorite place is Byright Creamery. Mm -hmm. And you can either visit the one in the Mission near Dolores Park and kind of make a day of it in the Mission or just an afternoon of it. Or if you're looking to visit Alamo Square Park, which is featured in the opening credits of the Full House mm -hmm. show, there's also a buy right there. Oh, wow. Next to one of my favorite restaurants, Nopa. Mm. Nopa SF. Excellent burgers, excellent drinks. I haven't been there. I want to go there. <laughs> um, you know, going back to the Ferry Building, one of the places, one of the few places that I know that I really enjoy, and they occasionally come and cater for the office, is the Empanada Place, the Argentine <laughs> Place, El Porteño. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and it's just a little stand there, but if you like, they have this great mushroom, they have a beef empanada. See, now I'm getting just hungry. <laughs> it's right before lunch. Right? Now I'm getting hungry just talking about this stuff. Um, what about a little off the beaten path? Because a lot of people that come to San Francisco, mm -hmm. they're usually in Union Square, they'll make their way to Fisherman's Wharf, maybe Chinatown or Little Italy. Is there anything that you would recommend that's a little off you know, the path? Yeah, for sure. Kind of close to Union Square, I'd say getting closer to North Beach, mm -hmm. there are two wonderful restaurants. One of them is called Catonia, which is Italian tapas. Ooh. Highly recommend that. that. sounds good. And then another place called Kokari. So that's, it's a Greek place. So if you're bringing a large group of people in or even just a couple, it's a good place for that as well. <laughs> And if you're looking for a real quirky place, okay, and this is this is going to date me because I've been going to this place for 20 plus years, and that is the Tonga Room, okay? Yeah. And I know I'm getting a smile out of Jen here because the Tonga Room, <clears throat> I almost don't want to give away the surprise, right? Okay, so it's at the near the basement, I think, of the Fairmont Hotel, so it's mm -hmm. not that far off of Union Square, although you will have to hike up the hill of Powell, you know, so you get a little workout in as you do this. Go into the Tonga Room and have great cocktails and just wait. <laughs> right, so we won't give away the surprise. If you want to know, just come look for me during the conference and I'll tell you what it is, or we'll just have to arrange a group to go out there and have a good night. For sure. I actually haven't been, Victor, so. Really? You yep. gotta go. See, I won't give it away <laughs> to you. You, Like I said, should we give it away? And then you're like, do you know, do you know what the surprise is? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, she's doing it in interpretive dance, but that that's exactly what the surprise is. Okay, so it doesn't really play well on a podcast, but come come look for me or send us a tweet at uh, hashtag HSOnAir and maybe we'll share it with you in a direct message. But, uh, but anyway, speaking of Twitter, um, as many of you know, this uh, conference, we've been using the hashtag LLSMC uh, hashtag. And so I want to remind all of you that are in San Francisco attending the event, that if you take your hotel key card with the Hearsay Social logo and the Golden Gate Bridge, we are currently having a contest. So we want you to go ahead and if you take your key card and you take a picture of it in your favorite spot or some of your favorite spots in the city, 
you're going to be entered into a very special drawing where we're going to be giving away to a lucky winner some cool hearsay social swag. Who can I join? Yeah, well, <laughs> I think you. I think unfortunately, employees are not allowed to participate in this. But if you want to look at an example, just go to hashtag LLSMC. I have a feeling people will be posting throughout. We'll share some from our own Twitter accounts, even my, my own, at Victor Gaxiola. We'll also share a few pictures probably from our at Hearsay Social Twitter account so you can see an example of what we mean. So we really want to get the picture of the key card and some background, some landmarks, something that you find really special here in San Francisco. So make sure you get your photos, post them up to Twitter, uh, use uh, hashtag LLSMC, tweet us at Hearsay Social, and uh, you'll be entered into the drawing. And there should be no shortage of attractions because this is, in my estimation, the most beautiful city in the country. Now, some may argue against that, but when Bon Appetit magazine not only says that you're a great city, but basically in its latest issue here, and I'm holding it right in front of me, says that San Francisco is the best food city in the country right now. And Jen is nodding her head, and I think she has a couple of favorites from this story of places that I think you have planned to visit. Yes, exactly. As soon as this article came out, I just compared the notes of where I'd already been, and I think I made about four dinner reservations <laughs> through September to go visit anywhere I hadn't checked out. On my list, for sure, is The Progress, Lord Stanley, and I just went to Rintaro last night, which is an authentic Japanese experience in the mission. It was pretty good. You guys should check it out if you're into Japanese food. Um, closer to the office, if you're planning on attending the any of the sessions that Hearsay Social is hosting, a couple of great places. Coxcomb just opened up, and it has really good eats. If so, if you're looking for ideas of places to go after you visit or right before, I would definitely check that place out. So there's no shortage of great places to visit and go to in the city. You know, I don't live in the city, so I can only live vicariously through people like Jen and the culinary group here that goes out. And we really need to do something like this. We've often talked to uh, Amanda, for example, when we were visiting with her in New York. She was talking about all these different mm -hmm. places because her recommendations weren't limited just to New York. She could give you recommendations just about anywhere in the country. So I'm, like, I keep joking about it, but I'm feeling more and more that we need to move in this direction of creating our own somewhat derivative hearsay social podcast, call it hearsay social on the table, <laughs> and then just talk about food. I totally I agree. There's no shortage of people here who love good food and good drinks. So we're talking about all these great places in San Francisco to go get a bite to eat. But what about later at night, if you just want a nice drink, maybe a nightcap, just hang out with some people, have a conversation, and have a drink? Where would you go? That's a great question, Victor. I know some of our listeners are probably going to be staying downtown, so a couple of suggestions I have are Top of the Mark, which is at the top of a hotel in San Francisco that you'll get excellent views of the city, so bring your cameras. Another restaurant slash grill I've heard of recently. It's um, actually a San Francisco establishment called Tadich Grill. And I think it was established in the 1800s and it has excellent martinis and burgers. That's what mm. it's known for. So wow. that's another one that I'm adding to my to-do list. I feel like it's an unlimited supply of amazing food and drinks here. You can't really go wrong. Wow. Well, I know the top of the mark very well because that's actually where I got had my wedding reception at the Mark Hopkins Hotel, which mm -hmm. is right at the top of Knob Hill, which coincidentally is across the street from the Fairmont, so you could kind of do a, get a twofer, right? You can go to the Tonga Room, and then go to the top of Mark, or you can go to the top of Mark, and then you can go to the Tonga Room, 
right? So either or, but great place, great views of San Francisco, beautiful kind of classic hotel. So know it very well. I love the the burgers, martini mix, mm-hmm. you know, and there really is no shortage of great places to get burgers. But if you really are short on time and you want a California classic, don't miss In-N-Out Burger at Fisherman's Wharf. I know Fisherman's Wharf can be kind of touristy, but it, I think it's the only In-N-Out that was allowed in the city. And it's the only one, right? In That's San true. Francisco proper. You find them down in the peninsula in the East Bay. But here in San Francisco, they have a single flagship store, uh, In-N-Out Burger in Fisherman's Wharf. Great burger. I, of course, order it off the menu. They have the secret menu, which isn't so secret, right? No. Uh, get it animal style. I love animal style. Yep, animal style burger, double double, all the way. Yeah. Okay, so if you're keeping score, we've got plenty of suggestions. Any more? Kind of round things off? Sure. San Francisco is known for its mission style burritos. There are tons of lists trying to rank the top burrito in the city. Um, the current contenders are El Farolito, La Taqueria, but in my estimation, Taqueria Cancun is my absolute favorite. Mm. There are three locations, but I think the best one is in the outer mission. So you're really going to have to roll up your sleeves. It might get a little gritty out there <laughs> if you want to visit. All right. So we got a lot of great suggestions there. We just got to say we are very proud of our city. We're so excited to have all these people in from out of town. So whether you're here to attend the uh, Limera Social Media Conference for Financial Services or if you have San Francisco as a potential destination, whether you're visiting us or visiting with friends or just traveling here for business, we hope this little additional supplement might help you uh, make some good decisions. We're going to get good eats, good drinks and have good times. So I want to thank Jen for coming by. Thanks and, for having uh, me. Sharing, and I just want to remind everyone that uh, you know this podcast is what it is, just based on the feedback and all the support we continue getting, not only from those customers and people that listen to the show, but our employees, our partners, and our friends. So I, for one, want to thank you once again for listening to Hearsay Social on the Air, and we hope you'll stay tuned uh, for next week, where we hope to be sharing with you some of the highlights of the Limerick Social Media Conference for Financial Services here in San Francisco and uh, sharing you, you know, the conversations that took place, the themes and things that were being discussed and to provide our unique perspective on the actual event. So I'm Victor Gaxiola and my guest today, Jen Dimack. We'll see you next week. So Sarah, before we let you go, okay, uh, you participated in episode 22, which is when Ronnie was still part of the program. And I did. Since Eli joined, he loves to ask three questions. And so without further ado, Eli, take it yes. away. Okay. So uh, we ask all the questions, uh, these three questions of everyone who comes on our show. So first we'll start favorite color. Uh, my favorite color is green. Favorite movie. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> it is a very popular one around the office. Which yeah. We really need to have. A I just it is a good movie. Well, and and you know my my hair color is red, mm. and oh, yeah, I red. I connect with red of Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, she's wearing green. I love it. <laughs> and I, love I am wearing people, green. I love it when people say their favorite color and they're wearing. And, they're it. <laughs> uh, and then final question is spirit animal. I took the quiz. I'm not remembering, mm. so I'm going to well. The spirit animal I wish I were is a lion. Well, there you go. Yeah. You would, yeah. I feel like the you know the the hair kind of yeah. goes with it. You got to roar.
Right. Yeah, I need to need to work on my roar a little bit, I guess. But <laughs> fair enough. Awesome. <laughs> sitting in the morning sun, I'll be sitting when the evening comes, watching the ships roll in, and then I watch them roll away again. Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay. Watching the tide roll away. Ooh, I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. I left my home in Georgia, headed for the Frisco Bay. 'Cause I've had nothing to live for. Look like nothing's gonna come my way, so I'm just gonna sit on the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll away. Ooh, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. Look like nothing's gonna change. Remains the same. I can't do what ten people tell me to do, so I guess I'll remain the same. Yes, sitting here resting my bones, and this loneliness won't leave me alone. This two thousand miles I roam just to make this dock my home. Now I'm just gonna sit at the dock of a bay, watching the tide roll away. Ooh, I'm sitting on the dock of a bay, wasting time. This has been a hearsay social production, recorded in our state-of-the-art recording studios in San Francisco, California, the Great Golden State, seated at the watery edge of the majestic Pacific Ocean. We'd like to take this brief moment in the vast expanse of time to thank you, our listeners, for lending us your ears, for we understand that your time is precious, like the most delicately crafted pearl. Cradled at the bottom of the sea, truly, we hope to our most inner heart and soul that you'll consider joining us for next week's episode. But until then, Godspeed, and follow us on Twitter.